closer together. Let's try and uh, sit in the first four rows. First four rows. Yeah, we can move up one, two, three, four. Let's try and sit a little closer. Yeah. Thank you. It's okay to you know squeeze in a little bit. Maybe people from the edges can come in a little so people can join. So, so a few weeks ago, um, I preached on Acts, right, we're going through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42 to 47, so this should be somewhat familiar to most of us by now, and this passage, it gives an overview, basically, of all the, 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 uh, the, the, the following chapters to come, um, we've, we've talked to the, about these verses many, many times, it talks about the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, right, to the scripture, they devoted themselves to fellowship, and also to breaking of bread, basically sharing meals together, eating together, and to praying together. And because they did so, and the power of the Holy Spirit was on them, all right, uh, the church grew. People were added to the church every day. We had uh, 120 people first, then we had uh, 3,000 added to that, and then, then uh, after uh, Peter and John, they were at the temple after that incident, uh, about 2,000 more were added to that group, so it was pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. And uh, last week, we learned that we live as witnesses for Jesus, um, but Satan doesn't like that. All right, Satan doesn't like that. Satan, he wants to destroy the church. He doesn't want the church to succeed in its mission. But, and this year, I believe that we as a church were you know, kind of getting back on our feet now. You know, where uh, people are coming, they're being engaged, where we're learning together, people spend time together, who are getting to know uh, people a little more. So I really like that. But Satan, he doesn't like that. All right? He's going to do everything in his power uh, to try and take away the impact that we can have right? as a group and in our cities, in our communities, and in this world. And the first way in which he, does, uh, in which he, he tries to do that is through, is through persecution. Right? That's what we talked about last time. Right? Uh, Peter and John, they, were, uh, they just healed a man, and then people were in awe and amazement at what God did through, through these two ordinary people, and uh, the, 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 uh, the Pharisees, you know, and uh, they uh, basically uh, locked the people in jail. You're not, and, and they told them, they threatened them, saying, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. You cannot talk about this guy who died and came back to life, these Sadducees, right? And you're not allowed to talk, talk about Jesus. So they persecuted them, and they threatened them. Right? Possibly, maybe we'll try to put you back in jail, or we're going to, you know, fine you, or whatever. But these, these people, they said, we can't, right? We, we have to obey God. We must obey God. We can't stop talking about Jesus, right? So the first way is through persecution. So this persecution is resistance from the outside, from the outside, all right? And for us as well, if we're being witnesses in, in our communities, in our schools, in our homes, in our workplaces, we're going to face resistance. We're going to face some struggles, some pain. Um, we're going to face challenges and danger, possibly. Or we're going to meet people who don't agree with us, maybe people who might mock us. We're going to meet people who uh, maybe they'll distance themselves from us because they'll think like we, we're kind of weird, um, or maybe we're, we're not really fun to be around because of what we believe or something like that. People might not invite us to certain things. 
Our people might slander us, maybe say, put words in our mouths, or, or, or make us sound like we're really dumb or something. And, and, and through all these things that Satan uses, he wants us to be afraid. He wants us to be fearful that we will never share about Jesus. And we're not going to live for Jesus. But however, the Bible reminds us that we have a, a big God who's really powerful. Uh, just now when we sang the song, uh, So Will I, it's the whole song, I, I guess, it just talks about how big God is, right? All the things that God did. He, he spoke things into existence, right? He, he commands everything to obey. How science and nature, it, 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 it follows and everything. Like, it's just, God is just really, just really big. From this, uh, I, maybe we can uh, go through lyrics again later on in your own time. Just check out the lyrics, how big God is. And God, we have God. God is on our side. God is with us. Right? That's something that He's promised to us. So I do nothing, no one, that, that Satan or this world throws at us, it can. It, none of that can thwart God's plans. It's not going to stop God's plans. But what we can ask for is courage. And boldness. Okay, that's what Peter and John asked for. That's what the believers asked for. They asked for courage and boldness to face whatever comes. So not that God would make our lives easier or less stressful, less challenging, but rather for the boldness and courage. So I hope you guys were able to think a little about how you guys could bring the topic of God into, you, into your conversations with people, co-workers, uh, schoolmates, all those things. Think about it. how can you bring that in? You know, how can you maybe uh, test to see if a person is interested or not? Right. And with whatever you face, whatever happens, you know, this is this is your church, this is our church family. You, you, you can share it with people, you can let them know what's going on, ask them to pray for you, you can ask for advice, for wisdom. Right. It can be it's found here. It's found here. We support each other. So today we're gonna to learn about the second way in which Satan can attack the church. Second way now. Okay, so first it was persecution from the outside. Now, Satan can also attack us from the inside, though. Inside. And that's a scary thought. From within this group right here, Satan could attack us. But we don't really need to be afraid. What we need to be is aware of how that could happen. Right, so let's turn to the chapter of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 4, book of Acts chapter 4, verses 32. 32. So this is the last segment for chapter 4, and then we're going to go into a little part in chapter 5 for today. So I'm just going to read, okay, now chapter 4, 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. Right, so the Greek word for heart here is cardia. Right, this is where we get the English word for, for, for take a guess. Cardio, yeah, that's right, cardio. So doing cardio, you know, is, is an exercise that it raises, increases your heart rate, right? that, that's pretty healthy. Uh, another way the word can be used, and the way it's used here is, the heart is the center of one's emotions and desires. So how do you feel about things? How do you react towards things? And your desires, what, what do you want? What do you want? So right after this, we read the word mind, right? Heart and mind. So the Greek word for mind is, anyone want to take a guess? It's, a, it's similar to the English word. Anyone guess? It starts with a P. No guesses? Alright, it's psyche. Psyche. Right? So the, the NIV translates the, the word psyche as mind. 
the ESV, the English uh, Standard Version, it translates it as soul. Yeah, soul, which I think is a little, it's a little clear, uh, soul. So this is where we get the word right, psychology, right, the study of the mindset of the soul. Right? And the soul is this the spiritual part of a, of a being, where we have spiritual and physical. And so the, the picture that Luke he paints is this group of people, they are so unified, right, they are so like together, right, that they're almost they're described as having like one mind, right, one soul, one heart. Right? These people they're they're unified. And this unity is beautiful. It's beautiful because look at what happens from uh, out of what comes out of their unity. We're gonna read. Right? But of course, um, this is unity concerning the, the right things, good things. Because of course we want to say something like um, terrorist groups, uh, we want to say that's like a beautiful unity, right? So of course this is concerning the, the right things. And let, let's look at what this oneness, this unity, oneness in heart and mind, what did it do? What did it produce in this church? Verse 32, right? It says, um, right, we just read that, and nothing's really new here. It's just expanding on uh, chapter 2. It talks about people, uh, they gathered together, they had everything in common, right? they sold property and possessions to anyone who had a need. Right, so how do you meet a need? We kind of talked about this uh, probably a month ago. How do you meet a need? How do you meet a need? How do you meet a need? Anyone? How do you meet someone's need? Right? Oh yeah, yeah, you give that person what he needs. Right? So yeah, first off, you need to know the need, right? You need to know the need, and then that's right, then, then you try to meet that need. So I mean you might know the need through different ways. You might find out through social media, right? Someone might give like an update little post, oh this just happened to me or whatnot. Like, oh someone's moving or someone got injured or or uh, you know someone's like in a black oh if they're in a blackout they can't use social media. But yeah. Okay. So through different ways. And I think ultimately through relationships. Right? When, you, when you get to know someone, you spend time together, you're connected, then you, you find out stuff, you hear about stuff, things come up. And this is why it's really important for us to, to gather together. This is why we meet. It's so that this can happen. And, and this is why we should put meeting together as a priority. I know things come up, you know, we have emergencies, we have vacations, summer's coming up in a, in a few months, right? That's understandable. Uh, things happen, and that's okay. Maybe the weather's really bad. We, we definitely don't want people, like, driving outside to come to church. You know, that might, we don't want you to die on the road and stuff. So, or get injured. But uh, th- this, is, this is why we gather together. This is how we get closer. And as we see in this early church, as people got added to the church, we, they got a lot of more people with different backgrounds. So people knew that, that they weren't so accustomed to being around. Maybe people they don't usually talk to. And people maybe that's not in their, in their class or in their, you know, in their sphere. So, um, yeah, imagine just our church, right? And imagine as all these people are coming, um, you, like, let's say you, you grew up like relatively well off. You come to church and um, the person next to you it just looks like they haven't ate in a while. Okay. You can kind of tell because they're maybe a little thinner, or maybe their, their stomach is growling like throughout the whole service. And you're just like, oh man, like, this, this, this person is hungry. Or, or like, last week the person was hungry too. You know? 
Or, or maybe you come during winter and this person is coughing and sneezing and doesn't have a jacket or something, or, or, or no shoes or something, and you're just like, hmm, like, like what's, what's going on? And like, I wonder how many of us could, could experience that. Now, we don't really experience that here because you know, people are really well off here. Um, but if someone came in like that, like, could we just do nothing about it? Could we just sit there and be like, well, I hope this person goes and buys a meal after service or something? You know, like, what would, what, could we just do nothing? So the believers in this church in Jerusalem, they couldn't just sit around and do nothing. Right? They didn't just say, um, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. So this phrase is actually, I think it's a nice phrase, but it's also a phrase that I, I get annoyed with a lot. Because it's kind of like an easy way of just saying, like, oh, I hope things go better. I hope things work out for you. I, and, you know, like, some of them might say, oh, I just got laid off. I don't have a job anymore. No, I'm, I'm going to get evicted from my home. And someone's just like, I'll pray for you. you know, hope you find a job, right? Hope somehow money finds its way to your account. Or, you know, or someone's car broke down and, and they don't have, a, uh, you know, a, a way to, to, to get around. Uh, you know, and currently, maybe they, they need a ride to get somewhere. I, I don't know. Now, now these days we have Uber and all that, so it's a lot more convenient. But before those days, right? You needed help. You know, someone, you would ask them for help. But, you know, what if someone just says, I'll pray for you. I'll pray, like, you know, a car, someone gives you a free car or something. Right? You know, like, it's just really, it's just really strange, right? And I, I'm bothered by that a lot of times. So when we pray for people, right, that's a good thing, but we should also try and meet their need if we can. So, um, you know, this example is my, my girlfriend, she, she got in a car accident this, this week. So, uh, you know, she's been kind of shaken up, it's been kind of rough. Um, I know not seriously injured, some body pain still in the neck and back. But I'm really grateful for my family because they kind of they stepped in to help. And my mom, she went with me to the accident site and, and just made sure that all the insurance stuff was okay. Because it's my first time, you know, visiting a car accident. So uh, I just want to make sure everything was done well. So, and, and my parents also, and my sister, you know, went with her to the chiropractor. So that was really helpful. So if they just said, like, oh, she's in an accident? Okay, we'll, we'll pray for her. I'm like, can you go with me? No, I can't, we can't. You know, it's, it's your business. You just, and other than that, I would have felt really like, oh, What's going on here, right? I'm not sure if you guys would feel that way too. So, right, so when we say, you know, we can meet a need, when we can meet a need, we should try. We should try. So what we have here is a beautiful picture of believers, they pool their resources together. So it says, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. They shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and was distributed to anyone as he had need. As he had need. So what we have here is a beautiful picture of people, right, putting the resources together so they can help people who had a need. And when the Bible talks about God's kingdom, it's a kingdom without poverty. Okay, it's a kingdom without poverty where no one is, has any needs in this sense. Okay, everything is provided for. Of course, God's kingdom is here, and, and, it's, and it's, it's, uh, basically it's here, and it's still continuing. Right? still continuing, because of course, when we look around us, we don't see perfectness, right? We see brokenness around us. But we also see some good stuff. Some good stuff. So I want you guys to think about how you can contribute to the needs of others in this church. It doesn't have to be in financial ways. It could be through your time or talent. 
And back in college, when someone moved apartments or moved a house, we, you know, we would uh, couple a bunch of church guys we would just go and help move, you know, make it move a lot easier. Sometimes it might take a week, but, but if we have a lot of people help out, maybe it just take a day. Or maybe someone needs childcare during family emergency. Right? I think that happened last, uh, last year. I remember one of the families in our church emergency happened, and um, you know, parents needed to, to go somewhere, and, and the kids, you know, no one was watching the kids, so you know, another family was willing to kind of step in and, and watch the kids, and I think that was really nice of them. Because right? it's kind of, it, 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 it's something that you have to you know, sacrifice right, for. But it was really good. It was really good. And we see as these things happen, um, and, and the gospel is preached, this gospel about the risen Savior, this person who died and rose again, and all who believe in him will have eternal life, and will be in a restored relationship with God, this message was being continued to, to be passed on to people, regardless of race and gender, and uh, ethnic background, and uh, economic, and status, and uh, social status, all these things, people were being impacted by us, right, by the church. Now, I believe that God, He is molding us, He is shaping us to be able to do those things. So, I said, how is God shaping you into His likeness? And as God is working in believers and working in us, right, these people's needs were met. As we see, it says, from time to time, people sold their possessions, who had land or houses, they sold it in order to meet the needs of people. Right, this was completely voluntary. Okay, as, we, as we see here, uh, this was completely up to the individual. Okay? They, believers, they were not commanded to sell their possessions. Right? The Bible is, is not against the possession or acquisition of property. So everyone here, you, you, you're allowed to keep your stuff. Okay? You're allowed to. But if you want to, you have so desire to meet someone's need through finances, you, you're allowed to do so, and that's a great thing. Right? These believers, they saw each other as family, and family takes care of family. Of course, biological family, sometimes you know, we, we, like, you know, we, we get a little uh, upset sometimes. Sometimes we feel obligated, like, oh, I'm family, so I've got to do this. Sometimes we might feel forced. We throw tantrums, or we get upset. But here, in, this, in the church described here, that doesn't happen. People do so willingly. willingly. And in verse 36, read with me here, we have an example of a guy who does so. He does it willingly. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So Joseph, he's a Levite. So he served, he, uh, his family or his lineage comes from Levi, from Toe tribes. He served, uh, his, his lineage basically is supposed to serve in the temple. Uh, and apparently, he's, a quite, he's quite a nice guy. Right, he has a nickname called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Right, this guy, he owned the field, and he sold it, and handed money over. So this is, a, this is a good example of the church being the church. This is a good example of someone seeing a need and meeting a need. Okay, it doesn't have to be as big as selling your house, okay? I'm not telling you guys to, to now go and sell your house and give the money to the church. I'm not saying that. But... You know, if you have like multiple houses and, and there's a need or something, that's up to you. That's up to you. Um, so, uh, so we see someone who's who's using his time, his talents, or to meet the needs of others. Really good, really good. But in chapter five now, chapter five, verse one, we're going to 
read about another story. About another family who tries to do something similar, but it's also a little different. Now, I'm going to warn everyone here that what we're going to read now is very serious stuff, okay? It might shock some of you. It might cause you to be very uncomfortable. And I, and I hope it does, because that's what this text is trying to do. It's trying to make us very uncomfortable. It's trying to warn us. It warns us that God doesn't play games when it comes to his church. And God isn't playing games here. Right, Jesus, he died for this church. He died for the church. Right, God loves his church. The church is his holy bride. Right, so he's not playing games right here. Let's read. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a field of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Alright, so at first glance, this is exactly the same as Barnabas, right? From these two verses, it's, it's, it's almost exactly the same. We have, uh, you know, cases of, of, of believers, they sell something and they donate the money to people in need. It's, it looks like acts of generosity and love. Like there, it, there's nothing wrong with keeping some of the money, right? Who said that you had to give all the money? No, no one said that. Everyone can decide what they want to give. Right? There's no obligation. Right? No one said that he had to donate the full amount. Well, let's read, continue to read in verse 3. It says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart and you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Right? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias heard this. And when he heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Was that, was that shocking to anyone? Was that kind of shocking? So Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, they conspired to lie, to deceive and test the Holy Spirit. But based on what we know here is that uh, they gave less than they said they, well, basically, they, they gave less than they said they, they gave, in a sense. Right, we don't know the motives behind why they, they lied. Uh, maybe it was greed. Maybe it was pride. Maybe it's, uh, it's that they wanted the attention, or they wanted the praises of people. They wanted to look good, but they didn't want to sacrifice all that much. Like, they, they can't get all these, you know, recognition and all this status, you know, without doing as much, that, you know, that's what they try to do, maybe. 
Maybe they cared more about what people thought than what God thought. Right? This is in contrast to Peter and John. Remember when Peter and John, they were put in jail, they were like, no, we must obey God. We care more about what God thinks. But here we find these two people, they care more about what maybe other people think. Now, I think the absurd thing here is that they thought they could get away with this. They thought that God might not know. Right? This God who is powerful, who is big. In, in, the, in the very first three chapters of this book, we see God do really amazing things through people. People are healed. People are being saved. And these people thought they could get away with it. Right, these two people who claimed to be part of the church, they tried to deceive God. And the punishment they received was death. We see that the main offense, if you look, it wasn't merely trying to lie to humans, but to God. It says, you, in, in verse 4, it says, What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. And ultimately, this offense was to God. So when, we, when we're here and when we do something that's, that's blatant, right? when, when we sin, it's, it's not just to people or against people, but it's to God. It's really serious. And I'll admit, this is one of the harder passages to interpret because what about God's grace? Don't we like to sing about grace, talk about grace? Forgiveness? Or wasn't God's grace powerfully at work in all the people, right? If we look at um, verses uh, 33, it says, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all, right? Verse, uh, 44, uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 33. Much grace was upon them all. Or why weren't these people given a second chance? Isn't death too cruel? Isn't it, isn't it unfair? It's not like they hurt anyone, right? Did they hurt anyone? How many times do we think that, that, that our sins don't hurt people? But this is exactly what it's doing. Our Satan has filled their heart, the center of their emotions and desires, it's filled it with evilness. It's corrupted them. And this couple became a threat to this growing church. This church was still very young. It was growing. Good things were happening. And there was something in there that was bad. Personally, I, I think that their deaths were served as a warning to the church. It was served as a warning. That God takes people seriously. He takes his church seriously. He takes his mission seriously. Right? To go and make disciples. Right? You know, through them, people are going to be blessed. God takes us seriously. God wasn't going to allow people to destroy the good things that was happening. He wasn't going to allow outsiders to slander the church. We see here that the passage never says that these people, they go to hell. It never says that, yeah, they, they aren't saved or they don't have salvation. It never says any of that. 
these people, they made very bad choices. Guys, I'm not saying these aren't Christians, okay? Because this is, this is for us, too. Does it, does it say that, that they're not Christians, that they go to hell because of, because of this? But God took their life because this was very serious. Cut their life short. But imagine how powerless the church would become if it failed to maintain a good reputation in the city of Jerusalem. So this new church, people are coming to it, people are, are, are believing, people are being saved, people are growing. And then outsiders are like, oh, these Christians are just pretenders. They're just a bunch of fakes. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. They just like to act all godly and stuff. They act, like to act like they're, you know, they're, they're good people or something. Right? If outsiders claimed things that, that were false about these, this church, well, then that's just persecution. That's to expect that's going to happen, right? And we talked about that. If it's, if it's false. But if we, if we give outsiders a legitimate reason to doubt that God is real and God is at work in the world today, in our church, in our lives, all right, then shame on us. Shame on us. Right, for, for those people who have been in our church for many years, or you, you know, our church doesn't have the cleanest history. Right? But, and, you know, I want you guys to think about just the damage that um, just a few people can cause in a church. For those of you who have been here, right? In any church that you've gone to in the past, you you can probably see that. You just need a few people to to really start something like like that. If you think about your group of friends, if you go to hang out or something, all you need is, is, is one person to ruin the atmosphere, right? Doesn't need a lot of people. And let's not allow Satan to gain a foothold in our church. Okay? Let's live in this unity with oneness of mind and soul. Right? In order to have unity to be one in a sense, we need to agree on certain things, right? So how do we determine what we agree upon? How do we determine what, how we do things here? When we, uh, a lot of times, and I think this is really interesting here, is that uh, they lied about finances, right? About money, in a sense. I think that's really interesting, because anytime money is involved, people get really, like, um, things get really intense. Just think about the government, right? Shut down, couldn't approve a budget. Like, how is border security supposed to look like? Um... How, yeah, how much al- money can be allocated? Yeah, people get very upset. Like, um, I think I just read the news. I don't know if it's true, but like, uh, I think if, if the wall is going to be built or something, uh, close to like a billion dollars might be taken from California high, uh, like high speed trainers. I don't know, something, something like that. I'm not sure I have to look into that a little more. But you know, people get upset about certain things. People, about education, how education is being done, how maybe employment or uh, international affairs, right? Like, our government, it, 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 people, they get really divided. People get really upset. Or we need to have unity. What are we supposed to, how are we supposed to live as a church? How are we supposed to take care of business? How are we supposed to uh, make decisions here as a church? How are we supposed to do that? I believe we already have the answer. In chapter 2, 
Right, verse 42 to 47, we, we, it says the, the, these believers, they devoted themselves to what? To what? Devoted themselves to, what's the first thing? Say that a little louder. Apostles' teachings. The Bible has a lot to say, right? The apostles' teachings, the scriptures, it has a lot to say about how to live, doesn't it? It has a lot of do's and don'ts. And it's for our own good. So we, if we have disputes, if we have questions, we go here. If we have conflicts, we go here. Right? During Sundays, we come and re- read the text, we wrestle with it, we ask questions, we look for answers. We discuss about it. We try and figure out how to apply it in our lives. Right? During family time and the parent luncheon. and all this, it's, a, it's a time for us to really wrestle with things together. And these people, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Right? To spending time together. They growing together. They ate and they prayed together. And this is how you're going to get to know people. Right? This is how you're going to find how, how people think. Sometimes, like, um, I, I, I mean, a lot of people, they, they say this, but like, if we don't get to really know someone, you, you have misconceptions. You might get upset because of something they do or they say. They're not trying to like make you upset. It's just the way they, they do things. Maybe you, you notice this at work or, or maybe with people in a group project or something. Right, through spending time, you're going to find out what values they hold. Right, you're going to find out... Like, It's really interesting. When you, when you, when you uh, watch a person drive, I think you can really learn about, a lot about people, isn't it? Yeah, you find out people like to tailgate, you know, maybe you find out people like to drive fast, or if you feel like people, um, they, they, you know, they don't do full stops, or, or, or they, they park where they're you know, not allowed to park, or maybe they, maybe they, they, if it's 65, they drive 65, or whatever. You know, like, you find out a lot about people, about how they, how they live, how they think, what they value. You learn about their personalities, right? and you learn about their pet peeves. You learn about a lot of things. I think this is how we can achieve unity. So I want you guys to think about, how am I contributing to the unity of this church? Think about that. How am I contributing to the unity of this church? So this is one of the questions that we're going to talk about in Sunday school, okay? I want you guys to think about it. It might be a little deeper. You might have to spend some time thinking about that. And, and it doesn't have to be very, like, like, it, it could be very simple. I already kind of gave us some, some examples, right? And we see at the way, and it says, Great fear seized the whole church when they heard about what had happened to these two people, Ananias and Sapphira. Great fear seized the whole church. But this fear is not like horror movie fear. It's this profound, it's a deep respect and reverence. Towards the things of God. Towards God. But God loves you. Yes, God loves us. That's true. But we should fear God because God loves His church. So I want you to think about, is there anything that I'm doing right now, or that you're doing right now, that's detrimental to the church? Is there anything I'm doing that is detrimental that is not contributing to the unity. 
of this church? Or what changes do I need to make in my life? Possibly. What changes do I need to make in my life? What's that first step? What's that first step? Right, Justin said, if life is from here to there, and our goal is from here to there or something like that, we don't need to go all the way from here to there in, in, in one day, but we take small steps at a time. What's that small step? This is a great way to practice what we're learning today. This is very serious stuff. So, you know, um, I want you guys to think about that for a little time. But, and I would like to invite the worship team to come forward. I'm just going to play a little music. I'll give you guys some time to think about that, to pray. If you need, if you want, if you need to pray with somebody, feel free to do that. Pray together. And I'm, I'll, now I'll pray at the way end, and we'll have an offering, and, and we'll close uh, in service. All right, just spend some time to, to think, to pray, reflect. Talk to God. Maybe it's time to confess some sins to God. Some things that, that, that we think, oh, it's just, it's, just, it's just stuff, just small sins. It's not hurting anyone. It's just, it's just, a, it's just me. It's not hurting anyone. It's not going to do anything. Right, well, that, that's a lie that the devil wants us to believe. It's a lie that Satan wants us to, to believe that our sins don't hurt other people. Our sins don't, don't matter to other people. 